1: This episode contains historic terms.
2: This is a logbook
0: entry from February 18th, 1976. The volunteer who took the call was Ingrid. Caller says Evening Standard had a ad using GY where they usually say M or F in their accommodation section. He phoned the number to check and it was indeed an abbreviation of gay. If this becomes a regular thing, it would be worth mentioning to accommodation callers. Well, I don't think G-Y caught on as a label (laughs) for gay. Um, Gay did, of course, but that word and what it means has changed slightly, I think.
1: Yeah, totally. I like the the way the word gay is now used for men and women. I think there's something nice about it not being gendered, for me anyway. I think historically it was gay men and lesbians. Whereas now, and definitely my experience, women use gay a lot more than they used to. Yeah. You're listening to The Logbook, stories from Britain's LGBTQ plus history and conversations about being queer today.
0: In partnership with Switchboard, the LGBT plus helpline. I'm Adam Smith.
1: I'm Tash Walker.
0: There are some cool old-fashioned words for men who have sex with men, I guess I should say, rather than gay men, because they wouldn't have called themselves gay men. But my favourite is earning, which is a German name. I think it was coined by karl Heinrich Ulrich, who was a German gay rights campaigner in the late 19th century, I think.
1: I'm going to go back a bit further on the women's front. Let's go back to Sapphic, which of course comes mm. from the poet Sappho who lived on Lesbos, mm. which is how lesbians ended up with their name.
0: With their name, Lesbians. So these like, words and definitions and labels are changing and shifting all the time. And that brings us to episode six of The Logbooks, Anything Goes.
1: Yeah, so we're going to be looking at people's definitions and identities and how that's changed over the many different years and probably throughout life.
0: Now we tend to use this acronym LGBT or LGBT plus or LGBTQ plus or LGBT TIA plus (laughs) star. Yeah, exactly. That we have today to sort of reflect the great spectrum of gender identity and sexuality and experience and all those things and that obviously as an acronym didn't exist in the period 74 to 82 which is the period that we're looking at so we're going to hear from all sorts of people who wouldn't have identified using that acronym in the 70s
1: -hmm. and uh, some people especially in the 70s refused the labels completely such as Neville and James.
3: Speaking of myself, I certainly didn't go around saying I'm a gay man, I am what I am and that's my attitude to this day. My sex is utterly immaterial to the rest of me and to anybody else. I'm not interested whether they're... When I say I'm not interested, I don't care whether they're straight or they're gay. I just want to know if they're a nice person or a not nice person. That's all. So, I never described myself
4: at all.
5: No, I... I don't think I described myself as being gay or being anything if asked but only probably in the last 20 25 years I'd have said gay uh before then when probably it wouldn't have been asked even mm. um how did we describe friends um I don't think we called them gay we they were just friends I mean people were people and that was it
1: I think what James is saying I mean people were people and they should be judged on who they are uh, alone and not how they identify. But I think with the changes that were happening at this time, you needed those labels and identities to help push things further. Different identities and labels were forming and and being used more regularly.
0: But the definitions of those labels are always disputed. There's a entry in the logbook from March the 6th, 1976, which is actually two small letters to the Daily Telegraph that have been snipped out of the newspaper and sellotaped into the logbook. The first one comes from a Mrs. M. Mason, London SW16. She's responding to an article that mentioned the word gay. And it says, I will never ever forgive the sons of Sodom for appropriating the most precious word, gay. There is a response to that, pasted next to it from a Dr. Stuart Hill from Newcastle upon Tyne. I'm not going to read it in a Geordie accent. He might not have identified it as a Geordie, or had a Geordie accent. And Dr. Stuart Hill says, "...the strictures of your correspondent on the common usage of the word gay to denote homosexual matters cannot go unchallenged. As a widely misunderstood minority which has in the past been mercilessly attacked and pilloried, surely now that the truth is becoming rather better known have we not the right to redress the balance somewhat? The word gay symbolises all that is good in homosexual relationships, but has far wider relevance for everyone, including your correspondent, representing, as it does, a new-found freedom in human personal relationships that is surely the right of everyone to enjoy. This is something your correspondent should welcome, not condemn.
6: Here's a logbook entry from September the 11th, 1975. What is pansexual? Multisexual? I.e. anything goes. Making it in the kitchen? Polymorphous perversity, signed Sigmund Freud. Well, it's good to know that pansexuality's been there, right, since 70... And people... Forget. I mean, we actually went into a very rigid lesbian, gay, binary thing, just like straight, gay, binary thing in the 80s and the 90s. Actually, in the 70s, we did talk about pansexuality um, and pansexuality, bisexuality, all of those things were much more accepted and
1: part of the spectrum. When you speak to enough people who are around in the 70s or or read enough of Switchboard's logbook entries, you just find binaries all over the place, this or that, gay or lesbian, labelled or unlabelled.
0: Yeah, and as Suzanne remembers, the labels even affected the major political movements of the
4: time. We were involved in the women's movement as well as the lesbian movement, but at that time the women's liberation movement didn't accept lesbians although a lot of them were but they weren't out nobody was out then we were the first people coming out as lesbians they actually didn't want us in the women's liberation movement because they thought we were giving them a bad name because it was a bit too radical for them at the time but we had a lot of contact with socialist women in coventry and a lot of debate and discussions going on there. And gradually that changed, and the you know lesbian movement became incorporated into the women's liberation movement.
7: There were problems within GLF. For example, its name, Gay Liberation Front, many women felt it should have been lesbian and gay. I'm uh, Ted Brown, I'm 69 years old, and also many of the men still harboured some of the sexist attitudes that were common at the time. We would have meetings and during breaks many of the men would assume that it was the role of the women to go and make the tea. <laughs> yeah. So after a while um, many of the women uh, split and went off and produced magazines such as Spare Rib and Bread and Roses. Um, specifically addressing the issues of feminism and lesbianism.
1: Both Ted and Suzanne separately have memories of deeper tensions over gender presentation.
0: And the big question, Tash, (laughs) big (laughs) question of all time, are you butch or are you femme?
4: Before I came out as gay, when I was at the university, I thought, if I'm a lesbian, I have to decide whether I'm going to be butch or femme. And I thought, well, I can't decide. I can't be one or the other for the rest of my life. So I can't be a lesbian. It was very confusing um, because that was the image that one had of lesbians then, that you had to be either masculine or, f- or feminine. Um, but when I came out and met the lesbians in Coventry, um, they were all the ex-university girls. They, they, they were not divided into butch and femme. And so um, that was a relief because then I thought, well, actually, I can just be myself. But I think there were, there were sort of two movements there, really, where the, some women were not defining themselves as butch or femme, but traditionally they always had. And if I had gone to the gateways, I would have found it very much divided in that way.
7: When I first went to a gay bar in 1970, I was asked whether I was butch or bitch. Because many people in those, many gay people in those days, adopted a quasi-heterosexual relationship where one partner was playing the male role and the other was playing the traditional female role, uh, dominant and submissive. This was also extended into even within the gay community. Drag were not taken seriously. And very little distinction was made between transvestites and transsexuals. Nobody investigated the issues that confronted those people, and there was also very little understanding. GLF started basically on countering the laws and the prejudices against lesbians and gay men. It was only later that the other uh, elements of sexuality and gender were incorporated that, not incorporated, they fought their way in, and they had to.
3: So this is a logbook entry uh, for July the 26th, 1978. And the font here is DG, and it says there's a new file, uh, bracket, black, close bracket, which has a fairly comprehensive details relating to transverse sex and transsexuals, this includes info as to which bars, clubs, etc. they can go to. This file should be compulsory reading for all volunteers. In the seventies, and this is, this is uh, not news, this this was the language that was used. And there was uh, um, there were two possibilities: transvestites, who were people who I think I think almost exclusively men who dressed as women. I think that's the the concept, and transsexuals this was almost always referring to people um, assigned male at birth who, who were crossing in one way or another, either assembly permanently or permanently. Hi, I'm Chrissy Hunter. The language didn't, wasn't problematic at the time and I think these categories excluded many people from feeling that they had anything to do with them. I think transvestite was, it was a, um, seen in popular newspapers or popular culture in general. As figures of fun, but not in a not in a fun way. Um, and transsexual was a was a, um, a very exotic um, other person. People that were transsexuals were not part of people's everyday life or experience. Most of the people I've spoken to in my research, the most common uh, trope is that they, they they had no language to think about themselves. And these are people with, with coming from fairly Ordinary backgrounds. Most people come from ordinary backgrounds. There's a club in London still called the Way Out Club, and uh, which which still runs. Um, and now it's got a nice little tagline of being about for everyone that's different. But I think it would have thought of itself as for transvestites at the time, and it was a small itinerant club. So you can see through this whole emergence, people's idea of themselves changing, and lots of the people who joined that scene, thinking of themselves as transvestites or crossdressers or whatever it was once on to transition. I went on to realise that they could do something else, or they should do something else, they needed to do something else. People don't do it on a whim. So, this is a, a log entry from August the 19th, 1975, and the volunteer was Colin. Dennis Andrews rang Re Transsexual, bracket TS, bracket group, the Patricia Sage Transvestite, bracket TV, bracket, slash, transsexual group no longer exists and has split into separate TV and TS groups. Bill Ackroyd is now running the TV group. Dennis has taken over the new TS group. He feels it's very necessary that people interested should be referred to him first. as experience has proved that many supposed TS referrals are in fact TV, or just plain nutters. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is a, a log entry from March 11th in 1976 and the volunteer was Helen um, Bob of North London Transsexual Action Organisation rang um, on call for about 30 minutes they underlined that Don't, underlined, don'ts want any transvestites there is no group there for TVs they are a counselling service for transsexuals Gay News is wrong to list them under TV TS and they have told them so this kind of reflects something that went on for many, many years. I'm sure every, every subculture has a hierarchy, and this represents the hierarchy of, of gender nonconformity or, or something like that. Um, and so the, the the top of the pyramid is the... Um, I'm, I'm using the words in, a, in an informed way. Passing, post-operative, transsexual, possibly in styles. Um, who has successfully become the thing that they're supposed to be? And bottom of the pile is is um, Bob the Builder, who puts on a, you know, a bit of glam stuff on a Friday night and, and doesn't really share it very well, and um, doesn't really do anything with the voice, and just walks around holding pints of beer and um, possibly has a sexual fetish for women's clothing. And so, were, and that was very much a hierarchy that was that was. They've existed for many, many years. And still I still know people in trans communities who discuss post op, pre-op in terms of a hierarchy. So it hasn't entirely gone.
0: As Chrissy says, transgender people were very poorly understood in the seventies, and it would still be quite a lot of time before they broke through.
6: Bisexual people were also on the back foot, as Diana remembers. It wasn't LGBT, those letters hadn't really been formed. There was like it was kind of talk around it but they hadn't formally been attached to the lesbian and gay alphabet at that time. Everybody thought they knew what bisexual was. Everybody thought they knew what bisexuals were and how they wrecked people's lives. It was always, you know... It was more on the lesbian side against bisexual than it was the gay men. I'm going to be a little bit... Lunt around some of the things that some of the guys they weren't really concerned if the guy was bi or not it was someone attractive they wanted to fuck and that for them was good enough but for a lot of lesbians there was kind of this still fluffy feeling around being a dyke some of that was real some of it's a bit made up really but there was that thing about oh she left me for a man that means she's a traitor she's let womanhood down. She can't be a true feminist if she's doing this to another woman, you know. There was all this kind of stuff. If she's left you for a bloke or another woman, it makes no difference. She's left you for someone else. And there was all the stuff about, well, if she'd been with a guy at some time, then I don't want to know her. There was that sort of purity thing. We call it Gold Star now. But at the time, that was like the pure lesbians or the political lesbians. There was... Those who'd come to it later in life. There was still like a, a hierarchy of being a lesbian at that time. You know, it was like, it was seen as like the butch that had never been with a guy was like top hierarchy. Then there was the butch that might have been with a guy at some time in her past, but that was a long time ago. And a long way down after that was femmes, and then femmes that had been with a guy, and then bisexual as well. Nobody wanted to go anywhere near a bisexual.
1: With so many labels and different identities under discussion and with so many conflicts arising, it was no wonder that some people formed smaller groups.
0: Forming a group with people like you can be very powerful.
8: So I'm reading here this entry from the 29th of May 1976. And the volunteer writes, we had a telephone call from the people who have set up the black lesbian group, which we have on our files, they want it taken off, and I have done so. But it has occurred to me a moment too late that I should have asked them to consider using the women's workshop as a mailing address. I will write and ask them. Yeah, I can see exactly why those women wouldn't want just a generic gay group giving out information about a black lesbian group, they'd likely attract attention that they wouldn't want and possibly have their resources stretched too thin. So when I started w- worked with a few other women to start the black lesbian group, we had our post sent to a women's centre. And I remember the first time I went to pick up the post, I was really excited because our pigeonhole was stuffed full of letters and pulled them all out thinking goodness who knew there were so many black lesbians who would write to us and as I started to open them I got increasingly disappointed because each one was um oh we heard about your group and we wondered if you'd come and talk to us or we heard about your group and uh, uh we wondered if you can give us some information on this and practically none of them were actually from black lesbians who wanted to make contact with other black lesbians and so an awful lot of our time and energy was given over to supporting others rather than the women that we wanted to support.
0: We have one more story about labels. We heard in an earlier episode about the label temperamentally unsuitable to work, in the case of a childcare worker sacked because she was a lesbian.
1: So there were lots of labels thrown at people, but Julian's got a good story about how he used this to his advantage.
5: I was regarded at the age of 17 as being temperamentally unstable to work because because. I attended my first ever youth unemployment interview in thigh-high silver boots, a very long dress, a big flower hat, and a hippie blouse. So I said, a nice little job. Yeah, I don't mind working anywhere. And they looked at me um, when I felt like they said, just sign this piece of paper. We'll send you money. <laughs> that was it. So, you know, I, I funded uh, my activism and wandering around and uh, doing various things through uh, being somebody who the state could not cope with and was prepared to um, put me on the dole and not have to go through all the hoops that people probably have to uh, go through today. One has to remember it was still at the tail end of when you could go on the dole and do an awful lot of activism paid for by the state.
1: It feels like language is becoming more fluid and people are recognising that and recognising not only that labels or identities may change throughout their life, um, but that that's actually a positive thing and that that's something that should be accepted.
0: One thing, specifically among the community, if that's the right word, of men who have sex with men, is that there are a whole other category of labels which are to do with body type. And sometimes these can be really positive and sometimes they can be really negative in the way that people use them. I'm thinking of words like otter for a slim man who's a little bit hairy or twink for a young kind of baby-faced young guy kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think there's similar things going on in the lesbian or gay women community with this butch versus femme identity. And, you know, butch has often been, had a lot of negative connotations thrown at it, especially with what's been happening in the media. And that's being reclaimed in a really positive way. And that's really great to see. I think there's a lot less stigma around the butch versus femme um, labels and identities, which maybe is allowing people to embrace them a bit more. Uh, whereas historically, especially in this time period, the 70s and the 80s, uh, you are one or the other. So Adam, how do you identify today?
0: I identify today as a wannabe astronaut. <laughs> I sometimes say I'm a gay man. I sometimes say I'm a queer man or a queer person and the thing that I like about the word queer is that it's kind of like an anti-label label. label. I know it is still a label and we still have to use a label, but you know, my sexuality is clearly different from the norm and sometimes my gender presentation is slightly different from the norm, so it's more like just a resistance or an alternative.
1: Cool. (laughs) It's a bigger, all-encompassing word which speaks of different gender identities, sexualities, and also politics, and it, it is the word that sits most comfortably with me.
0: Yeah, one of the things that seems to be happening today is that so many more people are describing themselves as
1: queer. I see myself as a a queer slash lesbian
6: woman. In the past, I would have always gone for gay, but more recently, I think it's quite narrowing. So I prefer the term queer. I know people of sort of an older generation find it quite a derogatory term, which I don't
1: so I um, identify as queer, and that's a label that's very important to me in terms of my identity, in terms of the way I relate to the world, in terms of my sexuality. Right now I'm in a relationship with a man, so it's something that like troubles me a lot, actually being in a kind of visibly heterosexual relationship. And because I'm in an open relationship... I feel like our relationship is actually very queer, even from the outside with two of us walking down the street together, it looks quite heteronormative.
2: I identify now as queer and I think um, growing up I always identified as gay. It feels more of a a catch-all sort of term, um, a more positive term, whereas gay, I feel, just puts you in a box.
0: Down with boxes!
1: Some of the words and identities from 1974 to 1982 are now gone, and some live on.
0: To bring us right up to date, we spoke to two people who talk perceptively about all of this.
1: We're going to let them introduce themselves first. My name
9: is Owl. I am a non-binary trans person who is also pansexual.
2: I'm Fox. I'm a non-binary trans person of colour. I use they, them pronouns. I'm also left-handed, and I'm pansexual. The way in which gender and sexuality are seen and the language that we use has changed significantly over the years. And today, the words and terminology that we use is nothing like the terminology that people were using back in the 70s. Some examples of that is transvestite and transsexual were words that were used quite a lot back in the day, TV or TS.
9: There has been a lot of change in terminology uh, about trans issues, in particular in the past decade, I think. I mean, back in the 70s, 18 18 and 90s, we had just usually there was just talk about transsexuals and transvestites. But today we have a much wider terminology when it comes down to trans and we have a lot more nuance in people's identities and, and how they frame their own experience or their expression. I think it's an interesting time and it's, it's really exciting to see people able to to finally be able to express themselves.
2: And I think that's the real difference with what's going on today. We're having conversations about non-binary identities. That includes genderqueer, genderfluid, and non-binary in general.
9: I think language is incredibly important to identity because it's the way we explain to ourselves and to other people how we feel and how we see ourselves. And I think if you don't have language to explain who you are, how you feel, or how you identify or who you are, you feel lonely and you feel lost. The internet definitely has allowed people to find find a community and find other people who use similar language or similar words to describe their experience. I mean, the internet definitely helped me come out and was where I started to explore who I was. I started playing um, an online game called World of Warcraft, which is a bit embarrassing to say. In this game, you can create a character and you play it in that world and you can basically be whoever you want. And that's where I sort of unconsciously started exploring a bit what it would be like to be a different person and what everybody thought I was. And obviously I played video games before that, but this was the first time where I really started to reflect and explore that. And that sort of led me to, to realizing that I was trans. Eventually, I started wanted to meet the people that I met in this game. And they didn't necessarily know I was trans. But when I met them, that was for the first time that I presented how I felt comfortable. Uh, I was able to be anything other than a boy, basically. And that was really significant for me, even though for them it was just a casual meetup somewhere. I think, yes, the internet definitely helped me. And I don't quite know where I would be today if I didn't have the internet because I'm from quite a rural area and back in Iceland. So I wouldn't have been able to find trans people or anything about it without the
2: internet. I remember at the start of my transition, it was so important to me that people use the right pronouns, even if my exterior didn't re- really reflect that particular pronoun. And I'm so excited in, pr- in the past few years that we've been able to extend the discussion about pronouns to include they or other non-binary pronouns.
9: Pronouns are just how you gender someone when you speak about them, whether you use he, she or they. And it's a way of of recognizing people's gender identity. And for most people, they just assume if someone looks a certain way, they use she pronouns. If someone looks a certain way, they use, you know, male pronouns. But usually that adds up. But for some people, it isn't that simple. And that's why I think in particular for trans people who don't always look how people might expect them, or people might assume different things. So for trans people, they're massively important, while as for the vast majority of people, they might not think that much of it. I think there's still a real confusion with people between sexuality and gender identity, and it's because it's been so connected throughout the decades, and I think only now, we are really starting to to create a distinction between the two. When we talk about identities, it's important to realize that they shift through time, they shift through cultures. The way that we speak about trans people in the UK is completely different to how people speak about trans people in India, for example. So we always have to be aware of the context and the time, what's happening around you, and all of these things factor in into how identity is created. So I guess that shows us how social definitions are just a product of society and of time and of culture.
1: So often people want to become a part of a community and one of the main reasons for that is because they feel isolated.
0: And there are plenty of logbook entries that are about those phone calls that come from people dealing with loneliness.
1: So our next episode is going to be about isolation calls to switchboard are confidential so to bring the logbooks to life we've changed the caller's names
0: the logbooks is produced by shivani Darve, adam smith and tash walker in partnership with switchboard the lgbt plus helpline
1: if you think other people would like the logbooks please rate and review us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts these ratings and reviews really help others to discover the show you can send us your feedback and stories to hello at thelogbooks.org.
0: Our music is by Tom Foskett-Barnes and our artwork is by Natalie Dotto.
1: Thanks to Steph Dickers and team at the Bishopsgate Institute,
0: the folks at ACAST,
1: Gareth Mitchell at Imperial College London,
0: the staff and volunteers at Switchboard
1: and all the contributors who shared their stories. 45 years on, Switchboard continues to take phone calls from 10am to 10pm every day. If you're affected by any of the issues in this podcast or need to discuss anything to do with gender identity or sexuality, you can call Switchboard on 0300 330 0630, email chris at switchboard.lgbt or instant message via switchboard.lgbt
4: but you can also donate money or time to help.